Welcome to the Evident Church Podcast. It's our hope that through this message you'll gain a greater understanding of God's relationship with you and further your life's journey in faith. All right, you guys ready? All right, a few people right here are ready. Laura's ready. We'll let Laura's faith and mine uh, carry the rest of us in this service. (laughs) You guys are in for it this morning. I've got something for you. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, history was made when a man named Elliot Kipchoge uh, broke the two-hour barrier in the marathon, allegedly. Uh, And what this means is that this milestone is much like the four-minute mile that Roger Bannister broke back in the 1950s. They thought that this would never happen. And analysts said that this barrier, the two-hour barrier for the marathon, wouldn't be broken for decades to come, if at all. Uh, But this man was able to do it. What this means is that he ran 26.2 miles at a pace of 4 minutes and 34 seconds per mile. That's insane. (laughs) That's insane. My fastest mile that I've ever clocked is probably about 6 minutes uh, a mile. And he's running just at an insane pace. The only way that he's able to accomplish something like this is because he's able to sustain a pace for a really long time. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of pace. And I'm concerned that many of us and that what culture tells us we have to do is that we're living at a pace that is unsustainable and actually very detrimental to our soul. And we don't have to live at the pace that culture says we have to live at. In fact, God wants us to live at a much different pace than that. Would you agree with this? What's the common answer to the question, how are you doing? What's the common, common answer? Yeah, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, good, how are you? But yeah, that, didn't, that wasn't what I wanted you to say. But when someone says, hey, how are you doing? Most commonly we say what? We say busy, busy, busy. We, or we say fine, yeah. But man, I'm busy. I'm just so busy. I've got all this going on. I'm busy. And there's certain seasons of the year especially that are busy. I keep waiting for the season that's not busy. Right? We keep saying, well, it'll be a little bit less busy. But no, it just keeps getting busier and busier and busier. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary, or we could say busy and burdened, and I will give you rest. That sounds pretty good. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, what does it say? Rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I would argue that many of us are living at a pace that is hurting our soul. And busy isn't necessarily bad. It's not bad to be productive and to do things. What becomes a problem is when busyness turns into hurry. There's a difference between busy and hurry. Um, Busy is I've got a lot to do. Hurry is a state of the soul. When you've got so much to do that you say, I've got to speed up the pace and to try to keep a faster pace, eventually your soul becomes hurried and you're not able to rest. You're not able to be in a state of rest with God. Annie Dillard, an author, she said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Hurried days lead to hurried lives. And what's interesting is that the society and culture we live in, if you think about it, we have more opportunity than anybody in the entire world at any point in history has ever had. We have more resources, we have more at our fingertips, and yet we are the most medicated culture. We are the most depressed culture, 
right? So something's not adding up. And I believe that it's the pace that we're running at that is not allowing us to live a full life that God wants us to live. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who was a philosopher, he, what he believed was our greatest source of unhappiness, catch this, he believed that our greatest source of unhappiness was our inability to recognize that busy is a decision. Our unwillingness to acknowledge busy is a decision. I know that may not rub correct or the right way with you this morning, but we need to acknowledge that busy doesn't happen to us, that busy is a choice. We choose busy lives because we're trying to keep up with everybody else. Has anybody been to the cider mill this fall? How many of you have been to the cider mill? Got your obligatory uh, cider mill picture as a family, right? And that's fun, right? We lo- it's so much fun, but there's also added pressure. We feel like, man, everyone's doing so. We don't want to miss out. We have to post that we also went to the cider mill. We've got our little kids. We've got our little whatever. So there's added pressure. There's a pressure to live at a certain pace. There's a pressure to be a perfect mom. There's a pressure to be a dad. There's a pressure to be a student. There's all kinds of pressure, and it causes us to live at a pace that is a hurried pace. I believe that pace is detrimental to us. So what's fascinating is we're going to look in um, the passage we're going to look at today. We're in this series called Love Rules, and it's about the Ten Commandments. And it's not about rules to earn salvation. It's about uh, how we can love God better and how we can love each other better, right? So the first four commandments have to do with how to love God and how to put him first. The next six have to do with how to love other people. Today's commandment, I love that this is today's commandment. It's about resting. It's about the Sabbath, So open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. It's going to be on the screen as well. Have you ever been at a point where you are going so hard that you eventually burned out? (laughs) I feel your pain. Uh, last fall was probably, I've had two significant seasons in my life. One was early on in starting Evident Church. Um, one was last fall after the, the big push to get into this space and all that we saw God do, which was amazing and great. But I was at a place where I was physically run down and I was also spiritually empty and emotionally empty and mentally drained. And you have to, in order to get recharged, you have to rest. And so Exodus 20 uh, verses 8 through, through 11, this is what God says. He says, I want you to, this is the fourth commandment. He says, I want you to remember the Sabbath day. Um, kids have sometimes said saddest day. Remember the saddest day. <laughs> for, for kids, sometimes the old school uh, Sunday is kind of a sad day because like, we don't get to do anything fun if you're from old school church. But remember the Sabbath day. We'll talk about what that word means by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner who is in your towns. For, this, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So please just think about this for a second. God is commanding you. God is saying, I want you to rest. Like, sign me up. I, I'm with that kind of God. Can we just acknowledge that for a second? Like, this is a great command. God's saying, I don't want you to keep slaving. I want you to, to rest. 
But that is difficult to do, isn't it? You think it would be easier. God even told, it's just, this is of all the commandments of God's that we should be able to keep, this should be one of them. <laughs> but we struggle even with this. There's something that is driving us inside to keep going, and God wants us to rest. The word Sabbath, it literally means rest. You could, you could literally read this passage and say, remember the rest day by setting it apart and making it special. So one natural question, does this mean that we have to take Sundays off and we can't work on Sundays? Uh, that would mean that pastors are in a lot of trouble because I work on Sundays. Actually, if you're a good Jew, you wouldn't be talking about Sunday. What day would you be talking about? Saturday, because Jews rest from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But Jesus kind of fought this battle for us. He helped us understand in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, he said um, that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. That the Sabbath, this idea of rest, is a gift to us that we would learn this rhythm of rest. So it's not a particular day, but it's saying that there needs to be a rhythm to our lives that allows us to work and then rest. Work and then rest. Work and then rest. If any of you know music, you know that music, what makes music amazing is not necessarily the notes, but it's the, the rest in between the notes. If all music was, now this is the extent of my musical ability, if all music was, was just that all day long, then that would, that's not very restful, is it? That's not very, very good music. But what makes music amazing is the rest. It's a note, and then it's a rest. It's a note, and then it's a rest. That's what makes music so beautiful. What I find interesting, too, is that every other aspect of our, the way we tell time, the way we track our days and our months and our years are connected to our solar system. You guys ready for some trivia? So the year is connected to what? What makes a year? The amount of time it takes the earth to take one revolution around the sun, right? A month is connected to what? The amount of time it takes the moon to, to go around the earth. I'm taking you to school for a second. And a day is the amount of time it takes the earth to rotate, to revolve one time around, correct? What is a week? A week actually is tied to this commandment. A week is tied to the creation of that God established things. He said, I worked for six days and then I rested on the seventh. That's why we have the rotation of a week. We're supposed to work and then we're supposed to rest. That's the rhythm of our lives, to work and then rest. Dallas Willard, a Christian author, said this statement. I think it's powerful. He said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. He wrote this probably 30 or 40 years ago. How much more so now? That our pace, our hurry, it hurts our spiritual life. It doesn't allow us to go deep in our relationship with God. I just want to say at the beginning that I think hurry is hurting us more than we realize. It's hurting us more than we realize. So what does rest do? I want to share just quickly a couple things that rest does. Number one, rest restores. Very practically, rest, physical rest, allows all the, 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 the... depleted levels in our body to be restored and to level out. Um, most of us have one of these in our pocket, all right? We have a device. We have a, we have a device. What do you do with this at nighttime? Play. Sure. <laughs> Play, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we get real here at Evident Church, yes. 
Uh, if you don't plug it in at night, what happens? Battery dies, right? Same thing for you as a human being. You're not a machine. You need to rest. You need regular physical rest in order to function the way that God has made you to function. If you don't plug this in and recharge it, it dies. We need to rest. Rest is an important part. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap. Right? And I could like say, you're dismissed. Like, God bless you. Have a great day, you know? That's, that's, that's the truth, though, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with taking a nap. There's nothing wrong with resting. God wants us to recharge. It restores us. Rest also recovers. Rest recovers a full sense of self. When you rest, you're, you're um, allowing yourself um, to know that you're not about what you produce, but about who you are. You're a human being and not a human what? Human doing. You've heard that before. You're a human being. Rest recovers. Rest reminds us. Rest reminds us that the world spins on God's hands. It takes trust to rest and to trust that God is still at work even if I am not. As a pastor, especially in my early years as a pastor, there's always more work than there was week. And it was really hard to rest because there's people to see, there's, there's things to do, but I had to trust that I could rest and that God was still at work. Does that make sense? It takes trust. It reminds us that God is in control. Rest is a choice. Rest chooses. Rest chooses to trust God instead of ourselves. A lot of times we'll say, well, I just need to get one more work, one more day of work in to make some extra money. But we have to trust that God will provide even when we rest. Rest declares Rest is countercultural. Rest is, is choosing to have a different identity and saying, I'm going to be counted as someone who doesn't have the same values. I'm going to choose a different way. I'm not going to, to assume the values of our culture. I'm going to rest and go at a different pace. And then rest also resists. Rest is resistance to anxiety. Rest says, I'm going to stand together alongside of the Creator in whose image I'm made. And by the end of six days, God had done all of his work, and I'm going to also rest. One of my challenges is, um, contrary to popular belief, I do work more than one day a week as a pastor. Um, golfing is hard, so that I consider that work. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so my work day uh, is basically from Sunday until Thursday. Um, I take Friday and Saturday off. And so I have a lot of things that I do. One of the things that I do is I prepare messages like this, and I study, and I pray, and um, I, I put together a talk. And it'd be very easy. That my personality is the kind of personality that I always want to tinker and, and keep working on it. You know, It's like, well, maybe I could say this differently. Maybe I could put this illustration here. And the, the temptation for me is to not let my sermon rest on Thursday, but on Friday to be like, okay, maybe I could do this instead or on Saturday, keep working on it. But I have to trust that when I'm done on Thursday, I've put in the work, and God, my, my message is ready. It's what it needs to be, right? Just trust that I've done everything I need to do, and then God will do the rest. I have to trust him. It resists this need to constantly tweak and change things. St. Augustine, um, in what's known as Augustine's Confessions, Said of God, he said, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Rest is so important. Let me give you some practical things now. 
Uh, number one, I would encourage you to write this stuff down. I would encourage you, first of all, to learn to move at the pace of grace. God has graced each one of us with a certain pace that we can sustain. God does not expect you to go any faster or any slower than the pace of grace that he has given to you. It may be a different pace than somebody else. It probably is. If you were to hop on a treadmill, you could not go as fast as Elliot Kipchoge on a treadmill. First of all, your treadmill doesn't go that fast. <laughs> go to the gym, and it probably goes about 12 miles an hour. Then add another mile, 1.1 miles per hour to it. That's how fast he's going. But God hasn't wired you to run life uh, at the same pace as everybody else. You've got to find the pace that God has graced you for and, and just fill that lane. Stay in that lane and enjoy that lane. That is the pace that God has graced you for. So for me, um, in order to be able to have energy to preach and lead Sunday mornings, I've got to rest. I've got to have a pace throughout the rest of my week so that when I get to Sunday mornings to serve our church family, I'm ready for that. Does this make sense? It has to be a sustainable pace because this is what God has called me to. You've got to find a pace that is sustainable for you. For me, I've learned a couple things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose some friends over this. I, I know that. But for me, I have learned that if I need any kind of stimulant to keep me going, then I'm moving at a pace that is not sustainable. So what do I mean by that? Uh, for me, uh, caffeine. And everyone's like hiding their coffee cups. <laughs> no, no judgment, no judgment. But for me, I've discovered that if, if I, and for me, caffeine comes in the form of, of um, sugary drinks, right? Mountain Dew is my nemesis. Um, so, but and there's a lot other problems connected to that, right? That slow us down, that inhibit our health and our energy and our rest. But for me, I found that if I need to go to that to sustain me, then I'm doing too much. And that's not sustainable. And I'm not a coffee drinker, but I would, I would imagine there's some similar connections with that. Again, no judgment, right? You'll see me with a Mountain Dew every once in a while. But if I know that I have to go to that to sustain myself, I, that's, a, that's a trigger for me knowing that this pace is not sustainable. I got to find the rhythm or the pace of grace that God has given to me. Here's some other things. If I'm too busy to spend time with God, guess what? I'm too busy. If I'm too busy to spend time reading my Bible, guess what? I'm too busy. Bottom line, if I'm too busy to spend time with my family, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've got to understand that these are things I have to recognize. I've got to move at a pace that God has given to me. If our schedule is controlling us rather than us controlling our schedule, we've got a problem. We can't love God if we're too busy. God says, one of the ways that you love me is by slowing down to rest. That's how we love God, is by resting. So second thing, practical advice, I want to encourage you to find what feeds your soul. I don't mean this in like a secular humanist kind of way, oh, that really feeds my soul. I mean this in a spiritual way, that there are some things that feed you spiritually and some things that don't. When it comes to soul food, and I mean soul food, like spiritual soul food, <laughs> Not all soul food is created equal. You guys know the difference? There's some good carbs and there's some bad carbs. And when you're eating food, uh, some good carbs would be fruits and vegetables, uh, french fries. No, no, that might be in the bad carb section. 
but they nourish you differently, right? Not all carbs are created equal. Not all soul food or spiritual food is created equal. So rest could be watching a football game, but that doesn't necessarily feed my soul, right? It's okay to enjoy those things, but what I want to challenge you to do is consistently do things that feed your soul, not just allow you to veg out. There's nothing wrong with that, but on average, you need to choose more of what feeds your soul rather than just something that will allow you to veg out. Now, I understand this is hard. One of the challenging things for me as a pastor is on Saturday nights, I usually have to start turning my mind and my heart towards Sunday mornings around 8 or 9 o'clock. And you know what that means. Saturday nights this time of year is college football, right? Last night, Michigan. And so I turn it off because I got to start turning my attention towards Sundays, So we have to choose consistently things that will feed our soul instead of just things that will allow us to veg out. There's a difference. I would argue that many of us, especially men, are spiritually starving because we don't feed our soul. I'm going to coin a new term. You guys have heard of the term hangry? Hungry and angry. We get angry because we're hungry. I'm going to coin a new phrase, and it's I can't think of which way to say it. It's either spangry or spungry. It stands for spiritually hungry or spiritually hangry. Which one should we say? Spangry or spungry? You can, it, it may not go mainstream. You may not find it in the Urban Dictionary anytime soon. But I believe that many of us are spiritually hungry. And we don't realize it. When we're physically hungry, there are signs and there are symptoms. What are some of those signs and symptoms, right? There's pain. Our stomach is empty. We lack energy. I think there's some signs that we're spiritually hungry as well. We might call it depression, but honestly, maybe we're spiritually hungry. Maybe we haven't fed on the word of God or spent time slowing down to rest. And maybe for women, maybe it's social media. Maybe for men, it's not social media. Maybe for men, it's ESPN. I'm going to step on some toes. Maybe it's fantasy football. Those are not bad things, but when we're consuming those things instead of consuming things that feed our soul that we're going to be spiritually, we're going to be spangry in the worst kind of way. I know there are a few things that feed my soul. Let me share with you what some of those are. Rest, physical rest feeds my soul. I don't, I don't make any apologies for the amount of rest that I need. I need at least eight to nine hours a night. Some of you are like, like that's, that's wishing. But, and I know there's seasons, right? Like moms, like, oh man, young kids and seasons of our lives. But, but rest feeds my soul. I got to be physically rested in order to be able to serve God um, with my whole heart. Um, some other things that feed my soul, uh, physical exercise is something that rejuvenates me. It recharges me. It helps uh, even out some things in my, my, my mind. It's a different, some, something different that I do than what I do for my work, physical exercise. Some other things, um, reading, it feeds my mind. Reading um, builds my faith. Reading the Word of God, spending time with God feeds my soul. Time with my family, devices away, feeds my soul. Laughter with close friends, worship and ministry and serving and generosity feed my soul. So what I want to challenge you to do is find, discover, pay attention to what is that feeds your soul and consume more of that and not just everything else. When we sit at the dinner table, one of the things we, we do is every once in a while our kids will have some like sugary drinks. And we set our drink in front of our kids, and what do we encourage them to do? Before you drink your drink, what should you do? Eat your meal, right? Because the natural tendency is to grab that drink and down it, 
And they were like, no, why, why is that frustrating as a parent? What's the problem? Because then their stomach is full of this, this stuff that's not going to sustain them. And then they're not going to eat. And then 30 minutes later, they're still going to be hungry. Does that make sense? So what happens is when we wake up and the first thing in the morning is we're like, boom. And we're consuming things. Our stomach gets full. We go on with our day, but it doesn't really satisfy us because we haven't spent time feeding our soul. We've got to make sure the first thing we're doing is feeding our soul, and then we can have time for the other stuff. So what is it that feeds your soul? Find that out and, uh, and, and dive into that. Then lastly, I want to challenge you um, to do something called a digital detox or maybe even a weekly digital Sabbath. I told you this would be helpful today. You're going to wish maybe you didn't come, but I think it's going to be good for you. So digital detox would be taking a break from um, digital stuff. Uh, you may not want to admit it, but I think we all need to admit that we're addicted. Just try setting it down for an hour. You will have serious withdrawals. You'll be like, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's a sign of addiction, isn't it? I can't go without it. You may say that you're not addicted, but I'm, I will acknowledge I'm addicted. It's a problem. It's a problem. Sean Parker, who was not the, found, not the founder of Facebook, uh, that's Mark Zuckerberg, but Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook, is quoted as saying this. Their whole mission, please listen to this. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but please listen. He was quoted as saying their mission was, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? The founders of Facebook. Now, we recognize these are tools, right? These are social networking tools but they're way more than that. And they're way smarter than, than we give them credit for. <laughs> Their whole goal is to keep you glued to it as long as possible. That's all it is. There's algorithms built into there saying, if I put this on their feed next, that will keep them connected. If I put this on their feed next, it will keep them connected. I want you as connected and glued to it as possible. We just have to be aware I'm not saying that this stuff is Satan, but I'm saying if it keeps us from God and from our families, it's a problem. Would you agree with this, church? <laughs> this series could be way longer. This topic could be a whole series in and of itself. But I'm just trying to help us that there is a battle for our soul. We have to be aware of the tools that the enemy uses to do these things. I've been kind of doing an experiment the past couple of months. It started at uh, the beginning of July, but um, I haven't been on social media. It's not a brag, but just I've uh, been experimenting to say, what would my life, how would my life look different? Um, and how would I feel? And how would my relationship with God be different if I wasn't um, fueled by these pressures and expectations of social media? And I lump in news with that as well. I haven't really caught much news in the past couple of months. Let me tell you, I'm a lot happier <laughs> than, than uh, but it allows me to focus on values and not be driven by other cultural pressures and expectations. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'll be back on eventually, but I just want to see what would it look like to live for six months without this so I could focus on spending time with my family and focus, spend time um, on my relationship with God and leading my church, right, and building my faith because I don't have to live according to those pressures. I don't have to live according to those things, and neither do you. Neither do you. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to wrap up. But I want to encourage you and challenge you to do some kind of a digital detox or maybe even a weekly Sabbath. A weekly digital Sabbath would be 
would look like uh, one day a week you would uh, get, you'd set your devices aside. Maybe at dinner time for you as a family, it's like no devices at the table. Um, maybe for you, uh, it's one hour a day or it's in the evening. Um, try it. I challenge you. I triple dog dare you. I triple dog dare you. It'll be painful at first. You're going you're gonna to have some withdrawal. You're going to be like, ah, I can't do this. But I believe that it's important um, to this idea of rest. You know, I'm an Apple fan, but I think it's a little ironic, isn't it, that this little device keeps us from God? You guys recognize the symbol? Right? It's, it's, a, it's a reference back. Now, this is one their purpose, I don't think, but it's a reference back to the Garden of Eden. And uh, that bite, right, that, that sin, that original. Now, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, whether it's any of those, I think it's a little ironic that these things keep us from a relationship with God that it would be soul-satisfying instead of soul-depleting. There's a battle for your soul. I just want you guys to be aware and want you guys to enter into God's rest. So a question just to you think about, are you tired? Are you weary? And God invites us to come to him and to rest in him, to trust in the work that he's done, he's done through us, and to rest. So I want to encourage you just to bow your heads for a second and just to pray. What I want to encourage you to do is just, just even in this moment, pay attention to your breathing. Just breathe. Take one deep breath in and one deep breath out. Rest in God. Recognize the movement and the rhythm of your breathing. Breathe out anxiety and breathe in God's presence. Breathe out fear and breathe in trust I know we just have a few more minutes together but God I pray that in these next few moments we would allow even this to be a moment of rest these rooms oftentimes are called sanctuaries a place of rest and I pray that just these next few minutes it could be that for us all the worries all the stresses of what we came in with what we're facing this afternoon would not be a part of our thoughts right now, but God, just to rest in you, to abide in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope that you found this message personally meaningful. For more information on Evident Church, be sure to visit us online at evidentchurch.com.